Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. This week, I'm going to keep it kind of short because I'm a little under the weather, but I wanted to, well, I got a couple of calls. One was from Taylor over at the Cleric Square Ringmail podcast, Media Empire, blog, all the good things that Taylor does over there. And it is, the audio was really distorted and messed up. So I'm just going to kind of give you the gist of it. Taylor, please call in again if I'm off base here. But uh, he says, I don't like the idea of plot level curses or plot level anything that is, I'd be, but I'd be okay with a curse that just can't be cured by remove curse spell, something where you'd have to do something, investigate, uh, work through a process to cure it or something that's possibly not curable at all because it's done by the gods. This kind of what he says. Which is exactly what the plot level curse is. Um, and what I think is super interesting about this is actually, and maybe this doesn't have to do exactly with OD&D, but, but rather with RPGs in general, and also on some level, the designing and the creation of games, which is how important language is and how important it is to understand that whoever is listening to or reading your product is going to interpret certain words in the way that they interpret them. That is to say that if you are opposed to plot or railroading or these kind of things, as might be common, let's say, especially in the OSR, you would probably not like the word plot level curse because that makes it sound like you're planning something out. But in fact, I mean exactly what Taylor was saying, which is that the curse is above and beyond what a standard remove curse spell could do. Now, why would I say that? Why would I do that? Well, if we look at the remove curse spell, it is a fourth level magic user spell, which means you need to be like seventh level to cast it, which is pretty high level. However, it's only a third level cleric spell. And to get that spell as a cleric, you would only need to have accumulated 25,000 experience points. Now that might sound like a lot, but if you go by the magic in OD&D and you go by the way that the game is kind of as written as close as possible, which is as I've been doing, like rolling treasure by the book, you will find that it's not that hard for a cleric to get up to that level. It's actually pretty common. And the fact that magic scrolls are pretty common, and in fact, they had already discovered multiple remove curse scrolls, you would see that magic, especially once you get rolling, is pretty common in OD&D by the book, if you will. And a remove curse would just that could just remove, again, I'm air quoting plot level curse or, or world level curses or extreme curses, the you know, family that curse whole family lines and stuff, then it, it would just be silly, right? You couldn't use those very, very popular tropes from pulp and from the fiction that's inspired OD&D if you couldn't create things that just couldn't be wiped out by a single spell. But let's say that we don't like that. <laughs> let's say the world has to operate in the same way the player characters operate. How can we temper this maybe? And I think what I would do there is I would look at it in the same way that I'd look at another powerful magic user spell, which would be Dispel Magic. Dispel Magic is quite powerful. And the way Dispel, well, first of all, let's read Remove Curse. Remove Curse, a spell to remove any one curse or evil sending. Note that using this spell on a cursed sword, for example, would make the weapon as an ordinary sword, not some form of enchanted blade which is super interesting because in a lot of later editions, if you cast Remove Curse on somebody who's got, or on the sword, well, what's funny is you wouldn't cast it on the sword. You would cast it on the person who has been cursed by the sword, and it would then allow them to drop the sword or not have to use the sword, which is what 
you know, cursed swords generally do. Uh, it wouldn't make the sword an ordinary sword. So this is a very powerful spell. So again, let's look at it as a, uh, how we temper this. If we look at Dispel Magic, which is a third level spell, uh, unless countered, the spell will be effective in dispelling enchantments of most kinds. Referee's option, except for on magical items and the like. This is modified by the following formula. The success of Dispel Magic spells ratio the speller over the original caster. So a 5th level magic user would only have a 50% chance of dispelling from a 10th level magic user. So we've got two things from Dispel Magic that we can take from this. Number one, most kinds, parentheses, referee's option, okay? So there's your plot level. In other words, the referee says no. <laughs> um, and also this formula, right? So what we could do is we could say, well, you know what? This curse, which in fact, the curse itself uh, in this case was cast by like a 25th level magic user. <laughs> you know, if you've got a fifth level cleric there, you're looking at uh, only, you know, a very small, small fraction um, of a chance that they'd actually work anyways. So you could do that. Daniel from the future actually did the math and it's 20%. So I don't know what I was thinking, small, small fraction. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, that's actually a really big chance. If you think about it, a 25th level uh, magic user casting a curse is going to be dispelled like 20% of the time by any cleric that can cast that spell, and which would be fine. The problem is you'd have to then also say, well, you know what, you can only try it once. Because otherwise, why wouldn't every fifth level cleric just gather around and just keep casting it until they eventually succeed, which is what would happen, especially since you can just cast spells every day. If you just look at the mechanics of the game and you don't think about the fiction, you don't think about how these things would work, there would be no long running curses. So what mistake or what would I change in what I had said before? I wouldn't change anything about what I did. Maybe the word plot needs to be rethought if I'm going to talk into a podcast that goes out to a bunch of OSR people. <laughs> it's probably the one change I would make. So yeah, I'm curious, uh, Taylor, what you think about using the Dispel Magic formula for curses and if you think that'd be a good way to handle that or if just wipes out any curse except for the ones that are world level, god level, whatever you want to call them, where it's part of the, you know, a, a, a process must be made. Because think about it. What if, <laughs> what if your god cursed you, right? And it was like, well, you know what? My god has cursed me to have to go on a, a pilgrimage for 10 days because I committed this sin. And then another cleric was just like, nah, remove curse, <laughs> right? So of course there's got to be a level of limit. And even though it doesn't say that, there needs to be. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. I, I love the idea of language. And I think it's really, really interesting because it's something that I've been really thinking about as I create my own system. I want to make sure that when people read it, that it can be open to some interpretation. But if something is clear to me that will make the system stronger, if it only works one way, then I make sure I use the right words so that people will interpret it the same. Okay, so I've also got a call from Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast about Critical Hits. Hey Daniel, Jason here, just listening to your Critical Hits and OD&D episode. Um, I don't see any major issues with what you propose there. It, it definitely does open up the idea of maybe helmets and, and better helmets. I'll, you know, once... The, the thing about critical strikes, of course, with hit locations, not critical strikes, but the thing about hit locations is that then we open up the idea of gear and, you, you know, if they have partial armor and armor on that hit location, things like that. But I think you can kind of avoid that with the broad strokes that you're using there. 
and I think that's perfectly usable. And once you started using it, even though it's not coming up very often, after it comes up a couple times, people are going to be used to it. The tables aren't that big. It, it's pretty quick to, to look those up, and they're pretty easy things to adjudicate. They're not overly complicated. So I, I really don't see any issue with that with the OD&D and Chainmail thing. I, I think once you get into D&D, hit locations in general, as opposed to like what you're doing there, can get a little bit tricky just because of the generic hit points, the way hit points work. You, you know what I mean? And, and hit locations kind of go against the um, the abstractness of the combat, if you will. So it really depends on what you're doing. Like they make a lot more sense in man-to-man, for example. But it, when you once you get to like DX, say, it's, yeah, hit locations start to get really murky because of the way combat's abstracted and the way it works and, and all that. I don't know if I would add them into those games. But for... What you're doing, like say with OD&D and Chainmail, I think that sounds like a great solution. So keep up the great work, and I will talk to you soon. Oh, I definitely agree with you about the uh, hit locations generally in D&D and in games that are more abstract with hit points. I know there are games that literally have hit points per areas on the body. Those games use hit locations or games that have really low hit points and they don't go up, right? So they're not really considered abstract. If, you have, if you're playing Boot Hill and you've got a 15 strength, you have 15 hit points. That is your life. When your hit points go down, you are being hurt, <laughs> you know, unless you're in brawling, of course. But even then you are, you know, you're getting bruised and beat up and stuff and it still takes time for it to come back. So I think that in an abstract game where hit points go up with levels and stuff like that, Having hit locations just seems like an odd thing because the whole combat's, you know, abstracted. And as you mentioned, the armor, right? Like what if earlier in the session, the fighter in the plate mail got a green slime on his head and he threw the helmet down. So now should I roll a different armor class? You know, it just becomes, I'm aiming for the head. So that's like a minus, but then it's easier to hit the head because... He's got less armor on it, but wouldn't he be defending his head more if he didn't have a helmet on? Maybe he could even see better. So, you know, there's so many factors that go into that, that it would just not. And I don't know nearly enough about combat to actually be able to adjudicate or want a mechanic for it. So for me, I'm not big on hit locations unless like, let's, oh, I guess Cyberpunk is like this, right? Where the hit points themselves are really considered the meat, if you will. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's true in Cyberpunk. You can let me know. But yeah, um. I'm going to give it a shot and we'll see. I don't think that tables for me, I mean, I'm already playing OD&D with Chainmail. I mean, tables are busting out everywhere. So busting out one more table is not going <laughs> to, not going to break the game. That's for sure. Okay. So like I said, I'm going to keep this week a little bit short. Thank you to my callers, Taylor from the Cleric Square Ringmail Media Empire and Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Links to their shows will be in the show notes below. You can also find a link to my Discord server there if you'd like to join up and uh, chat with us over there. And you can find a link to my Patreon if you'd like to support the podcast. Also, if you want to send me a message, and like these two fine gentlemen did, you can either follow the link in the show notes to Anchor to do so, or you can, as mentioned, join my Discord. From there, you can record a voice message and send it to me, or you could just send me an instant message and say, please read this. I will do my best. Podcaster voice. That's my watch dinging right there, which tells me that it's time to go. (laughs) 
uh, in any case, thanks everyone for listening and I will talk to you soon.